0: Hey, what's going on everybody? This your boy Jay Mason. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover. I have a special guest with me on the line right now. I have Miss Ivory Tab, talent buyer, fitness and wellness expert. And some of you, like me, remember her from her time on the reality TV show, I Want to Work for Diddy on VH1. Ivory, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi there. Thank you very much. You, um, you digging in the crate bringing up that, um, that TV show there. I was, uh, just when you reached out. I had to think about it. I was like, oh, that was in 2009. That's some time past there.
0: I know. I, I, like I told you, I do my research. I'm just not, no, no wash up. I definitely make sure I do my research, my homework before I have people on.
1: Well, that, that's a good one. It's, it's funny. Um, you know, before we, the gym shut down. I was working out, a guy came up to me, and he was like, are you Ivory? And I just recently relocated, so you kind of, no one knows me, really, I feel like. And I was like, yeah, he was, I love you. (laughs) I was like, you what? (laughs) It was like, on the show, I loved you. I was like, how do you even remember that? He was like, you and Jalen were my favorite, you should have won, I was like yeah okay great, <laughs> right.
0: So tell a little bit about yourself for those that may not know and how did you end up going
1: down to l s u so I'm from Jersey, South Jersey, right across the bridge from Philly, you know, Camden, a lot of folk know there are a lot of basketball players and football players and stuff that come out of that area. so actually, I ran track at l s u and went down to l s u to run track, and when I got there, I just fell in love with it. But the plan was to actually go to a school that was going to allow me to be involved in sports. So my first thought was actually going to school and becoming an athletic trainer. And I got there, and, you know, some great advice that I got, I didn't feel like it, though, but at the time of 18, 19, there was another lady who was the head athletic trainer at LSU, and she looked at me one day, and she was like, this isn't going to work. And I was like, huh? She said, you're just too pretty for this job. And I said, what? She said, you know, there aren't a female, a lot of female trainers. You know, it's going to be hard for you to get on. No one's really going to take you serious. She was like, so right now, while you have time, I think you need to switch. And so literally, I had just stopped running track so I could focus on training. But during the meantime, I was actually tutoring in the athletic department. And I just started tutoring full time. I started working with the guys. And right before I graduated, they're like, oh, you get your master's. You stay here. You work full time. And in the meantime, become like an assistant academic advisor for freshman football. And that's literally how I got into the business. So
0: what years were you down at LSU for? What year did you enter and what year did you graduate undergraduate? I went in
1: 95. I graduated in 2000. And I got my master's in O
0: Okay, so you were kind of down there right around the time when, with this prior to Nick Saban being down there and then winning the national championship with Marcus so, Spears and those guys? So
1: actually, Marcus was my first. So I known Marcus Ears and best friend Michael Clayton since they were freshmen at LSU. I was their academic advisor, and yes, this was right before they won the championship. But Nick Saban was there, so I did work for Nick Saban. So
0: uh, seeing by you being down there in SEC football country, what are your thoughts on the NCAA kind of starting to allow players to make money off their image and likeness?
1: It's going to be very interesting. That is the business that I am. I do marketing. And branding, and I've helped a bunch of clients, a bunch of athletes build their brand and do endorsements and those types of deals. So it's going to be interesting. A lot of education and I like to call it a lot A lot of needs need to be put in place. To make sure this runs efficiently, to make sure that it's productive, and to make sure that everybody involved gets exactly what they're signing up for. So that means at this point, you know, anybody can come to these kids and say, hey, do this. And because they're wanting to make a quick buck, and this quick buck could be a lot of bucks, it's going to change the landscape greatly.
0: Right, because I feel if you put out in the open, we wouldn't have scenarios like what we saw in the program. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the 30 for 30 ESPN bid on the whole F- can you scandal Pony XS where guys are getting paid in cars and practically on payroll? Yes,
2: yes,
1: very familiar. Um, the thing is, though, it's going to be a lot of things that are legitimate, and it's going to be a lot of things that are unlegitimate. So I hope that they have a very clear guideline. And like I said, there's somebody that's on the program, that's near the program, especially out of a Power 5 school that has very influential athletes that knows what they're doing, because that's going to be key. I feel like you could get a lot of former athletes to come in and do this job. I feel like you can get, you know, people who have a background that I do to come in and do this job. And I also feel like if you get someone who thinks they know the job but they don't know it, that's where it's going to get a little hazy. But I feel like a lot of the bigger institutions are going to do the right thing and the kids will benefit.
0: I definitely feel that the athletes should be able to benefit from their image and likeness because every year when March Madness comes on, they show the image of Christian Layton running down the court after hitting the shot against Kentucky, and he yeah. doesn't make a dime. And it's been decades since he's been out of school. Let's take, for example, recently Joe Burrow and the national champions, LSU Tigers. He couldn't even profit off of winning the championship and the Heisman playing with the LSU, but he's going to make up for it now by making money in Cincinnati.
1: Now, what's going to be interesting is between football and basketball, because basketball that's one and done. So literally, these guys, I tell folks, are on campus from maybe August to March, and they're, you know, they're so much younger, they're so much quicker to get that money that basketball is going to be the one to watch because you really don't have time time to go in, do marketing deals, do this, do that, play basketball, play a whole season, choose an agent. You know, that rule that they added two years ago where you can sign with someone and put your foot in the water and not actually get an agent and go back to school, that's going to help for folks here. But I really believe that basketball is going to have a whole different outlook than football. You know, football, you're going to have three years to come in and make money off of someone. And the difficult problem that I see that is definitely going to happen is, you know, no, who is going to be the one to decide that this is the person that makes money? Because looking at it from the brand side, yes, I, of course I want your star quarterback, and of course that's going to bring people out, and of course your star quarterback is going to be the one that have all the deals, but then going to be tons of residual deals that happen from you just being a part of the team. So it's really going to be a lot to manage. To me, I can't wait to see, like I said, the actual plan of how it's going to work.
0: Right, and I definitely feel that for some of the athletes that may be coming from not the best school systems in the world, should have extra reinforcement so that they can be able to handle the academic rigor of a four-year collegiate university setting. Because if you look at Last Chance Youth on Netflix, a lot of those guys, I feel personally, their high school school district didn't really prepare them for what it was going to be like once they stepped foot on a major college, and sadly had to take maybe a misstep going to a community college in order to get back on the right track academically.
1: And I agree. And I watched Last Chance you and I didn't. What I didn't like is. The academic advice. She was not prepared. And I've done that job, so I can very easily say what she did and what she didn't do right. She was not prepared to handle everything that came with that job. And unfortunately, with a lot of junior colleges and a lot of the small, the smaller schools, they don't have the staff to accommodate what's actually going on. If a kid had a D1 scholarship and for whatever reason he ended up at your school, you have to understand the problem that's going to come with that kid coming to your school. A majority of the coaches and a majority of the staff on these teams are so worried about going to the next level that they're really not invested into the kid. And unfortunately, when you got a D1 kid, you're going to have D1 problems. Right,
0: because looking at the life of a student athlete, you are pretty much a full-time employee of the school doing practice, media appearances, games, and then you get put in, let's say, a soft major just so that you can have eligibility and that the school can have a good APR rate. And I felt Myron Rowe, who was drafted by the Steelers from Florida State, was punished because he had a rough major, I think it was pre-med, then he ended up becoming a Rhodes Scholar, and it took, I think, was it a semester or a year off that he could pursue that, and I commend him for that.
1: Yes, and for me, it's like you have to be focused, and you have to have a backup plan. There is going to be plenty of times where you don't think that you have time but literally you have to make time. Like there were so many kids who thought they were going to the league and they didn't resign from school properly, they didn't fill out their paperwork properly. They just left. Now you're trying to come back to school. And you didn't resign. They got all that in all your class and here we are. So like I said, it is going to be a huge undertaking to now add this piece of hey, also we're getting some new money here so it's going to be interesting
0: definitely going to be interesting and then we saw a couple of years back Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey they were the first two big athletes to sit out of playing in bowl games because they were looked at as of course Locks to be top 10 picks and I'm like why am I going to play in a meaningless bowl game when I'm a top 10 Locks draft pick and it's more meaningful for those who won't go to the next level but for me I'm going to make million million in the NFL and playing at the no offense the Hyundai Sun Bowl is not going to do me any
1: good. Exactly. And so it's like, do I take the chance and do I sit out or do I go play and then decide that I got hurt or this wasn't a good idea? I feel like based off of what the school is, what game it is, when it's going to be, how much work you put in ahead of time, I really feel like that that is going to be a viable option now moving forward. Mm. And a lot of kids are going to look at it like, hey, I'm not playing in the Weed Whacker Bowl. <laughs> Let me just go and get ready for this combine and move along. i just say,
0: I'm not going to play, but give me my swag bag so I can exchange it for cash or
1: something. <laughs> well, yeah, because, you know, based off where you play and who you play, those swag bags... <laughs> Have all the goodies in.
0: Right, because like I said, I would exchange that for some um, greenbacks on the low. Now, by you running track at LSU, you were there before Lolo Jones came, correct? Yes
2: but we were there at the same time.
0: Okay, so what was it like for you kind of seeing her rise in track and field and her switching over from track to gobsledding?
1: I mean, it's one of those things that, hey, you couldn't make the team, so you did something else. And I really believe that attitude has a lot to do with it. And her attitude has always been one of just not very good to me. And so I, I strongly believe Hey, you tried it, you moved to bobsled, it was, it was a smart move, but I don't think it was moved because, hey, I, I just want to join the bobsled team. It was a move because, hey, I couldn't cut it at this Olympics and what I actually trained my whole life for, so let me move over to this.
0: And for those of you that don't know, LSU is located down in Baton Rouge. Louisiana, and is not too far from Southern University. Is that correct? Which is also in Baton Rouge.
1: Yeah, 10 miles down the road, I actually was the assistant girls basketball coach at Southern.
0: Now, going back and forth from LSU to Southern, what did you notice as far as the discrepancies in between how HBCU, Athletic departments are funded, as opposed to those that are in your Power 5? Oh,
1: apples to watermelon, And it's one of those things that I tell folks all the time. This is two totally different ballgames. You know, at LSU, when you wanted something, the only thing you did was go in your budgeting. Get at Southern when you wanted something you had to work for. it, And I promise you, the hustle and the drive and the get it done, make a way out of no way attitude that I have picked up over the years that has served me well has definitely come from working at Southern. And I say that because we had to hustle for everything that we wanted to have extra for the team at Southern. And I respect the hell out of being able to learn that, manage that, and turn that to something that is actually very useful. Mm-hmm.
0: And that also brings to mind for me the issues that a lot of HBCUs, they'll play these power five schools in these money games when you know you're gonna get blown out, but the money that you get from playing at Alabama or at Clemson will be enough to fund your athletic department.
1: But I think that's a horrible idea, and I really don't believe that schools have to do that. What schools need to do, there are so many HBCU fans that I feel like if you put these conference games against each other and have teams play each other that folks want to see in locations that folks want to go to like you have these classics and you get in on the hotel, and you get in on all aspects of money that's coming into the city for the game, that you can make money that way. And I look at it like, you say, hey, we at, you know, North Carolina A&T is going to play Southern in Las Vegas. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. People will go to that. People will spend tons of money to go to that. And now you need to figure out as an athletic department how you get money off that. And how you get money off that is you control the event. You get pieces from the hotel. There's a way that you can make money off of that. And I just feel like teams have to really buckle down and say, this is what we want to do. And now that because there's so much free time on hand due to coronavirus, I feel like there's a lot of things that could change and a lot of things that folks could very easily make happen to move forward and say, hey, this is how our school can profit. And it doesn't have to be from, you know, going to play Alabama, somebody getting hurt or we getting blown out because now the team is looking at it like, oh, we've had started the season this way, but, you know, we can get picked up from this. It's real hard to get picked up from that. And they're not, and I hate to say it, but it's not good enough. LSU third squad would probably be Southern first squad. And that's what, LSU and Southern are going to play each other next year. And they've been wanting this for years. And it's going to be a fantastic tailgate and a fantastic atmosphere, but it's going to be ridiculous.
0: Yes, I definitely agree because, as you know, throughout the history of college sports, the HBCUs were the only outlets for black athletes to go pre-integration but once the PWIs, which, for those of you that don't know, predominantly white institutions, figured out like,
3: hmm, let's
0: get these guys to come play for us. Then HBU's resources got drained. But the one thing that I appreciate about HBCUs is that it allows you to be your authentic self. And I have to apologize for it Because I went to University of North Carolina Greensboro Which is right up the street From A&T And for those of us Who are minorities At PWIs, You had to kind of Carve out a little bit Of a niche in order to get that sense of blackness at a PWI, you know, we had BGLOs. Uh, we even had our own little version of kind of like an HBCU marching band called a Spartan Force. So was that kind of like the same sense at LSU among minority students where you had to feel like you had to carve out your own little niche in order to kind of have that safety in small numbers at a predominantly white campus?
1: Yes and no. And LSU was a whole different beast. And let's use a whole different beat because of the culture, because of where it's at, and because of what the atmosphere is like there. But we did have tons of you know, we had our African American culture center. We have something that we call Soul Tigers. During homecoming, we etched out exactly what it is that we're gonna do for homecoming amongst us and tons of folks come back for it and tons of folks feel like this is exactly where I needed to be and exactly where I was. And for me, it's a total different look coming from the north down to the south. You know, and I took classes at both schools. You know, I worked at Southern, I worked at both schools. So for me, I can base, I can say, you know, an HBCU isn't for everybody. You know, right now my brother is the high school football coach where we went to high school at in Jersey. It is so hard to get kids to go from north down to the south and actually be here and like it, especially at an HBCU, because it's totally, totally different, a totally different atmosphere, a totally different mindset, going from city to country. You know, and that's something that I I tell parents and a lot of folks that when it's time to choose a school, yes, the school may be given a full scholarship, but that might not be a good fit for you and your kid. You know, for me, it was a good fit because I knew I was going far away from home. I knew that I wanted to change the atmosphere, and I was always able to go and be by myself and get things done and make it work. You know, a lot of folks don't know how to make it work. And so, you know, going to an HBCU may be something that's Totally against everything you've known growing up. You know, if you went to a predominantly white high school, then you say, oh, I'm just going to drop in this HBCU. You know, like you said, that's a whole different navigation. Yeah, you feel like you could just drop the bail and and, and it's going to be okay, but it's, it's it's not two total different beats. But LSU did a great job with allowing us our space and with it being right down the road from Southern. You could go over there and take class and just like they could come to LSU and take class and it was, you know, it was all good. But the system and how it was run and how, you know, we got our money and how we live and our arrangements and the facilities, two totally different things. And, you know, folks always want to have the argument over oh, if five-star athletes just go to HBCUs. No, it doesn't work like that. Why would they do that? Why? Tell me why they would do that. Oh, you would do it to bring it back. What? No, that's not going to bring it back. A whole lot of systems need to shift in order to bring it back. Right.
0: And being down in Baton Rouge at LSU at the time, you were, were there a lot of sharing of music from different regions, like where people bring in music that were popular up north, west coast, and then also with Bounce being big down in that region with New Orleans what was the thoughts on hearing that for the first time and then also the transferring of music from different regions
1: <laughs> I laughed so hard because one of my best friends from college sent me a message she said I remember, she said the song song is on the radio. I said, "Dude," she said, "I remember you coming down there and we was doing that in the fall." I said, "Do you know how long the song song took to come down there?" And that to me used to be so weird, how long music took to come from up north to get down to, let's say Baton Rouge. And when I say the song song, I specifically remember when it came out and when the song came out, I was like, "Oh, this song is great!" And I was like, "Y'all didn't hear?" I was like, Y'all Y'all didn't hear this song? Y'all don't know this song? Y'all don't... (laughs) Like I said, it came out in 99, and it just seemed like... You know, it got released in February. It didn't get down really to Baton Rouge to like November. But what was so interesting about it all is I used to always say, oh, I can't go home for the summer because if I do a whole new set of dances, a whole new set of bounce music is going to come out and I got to get myself ready to spend a whole semester trying to catch up and then go home for the summer and something else comes out. So right now it's one of those things like I love music from New Orleans. I love bounce music. It's one of those things that that's kind of like my, my little, I make a triangle on the map. I can do, I love old school, East Coast rap, go down to New Orleans, then go over to Miami and do some Luke and reggae and then go back up. And it's so funny to me because I always say people, like people that are from, one of my best friends, she's from Kansas City. And I'm like, what was y'all listening to growing up? Like, it's so weird to me when people don't know songs. And I'm like, how do you not know this? But one thing I tell you for sure <laughs> is I do not get down with West Coast music at all. Like, West Coast music what we
0: Right, West Coast music is an acquired taste because I spoke with music and cultural critic Amy Linden, and she was telling me how West Coast music is more of by where you're riding, and if you're in New York or further north, you don't really drive; use public transportation, so it's not really going to fit the lifestyle choice. And then down in New Orleans, with the bounce music, it is funny for me to see that Turbo Tax commercial in the Super Bowl and to see how Cash Money and No Limit took. Off from New Orleans and just how rap is now global. And when I was growing up in North Carolina, we had a lot of students go to HBCUs that are from New York, DMV, Jersey, Philly, and they would bring their music down with them. So I felt North Carolina was more of a melting pot. Whereas, okay, this is what go go sounds like. Okay, this is what up north hip hop sounds like. West Coast bounce, Miami bass, Atlanta stuff. So it was definitely cool to get that mix of what was going on in whatever locale because I remember being a young kid when Ron G, Kid Capri, Cool Kid, all those mixtapes started making their way down the Mason Dixon line. And you thought that you was the high stuff if you got one of those mixtapes from New York because music didn't travel as fast then. It did not travel fast, but
1: yes. Oh, trust me, I know about those mixtapes. And what be so funny is me and my brother, were very close in age. We're only a year and uh, seven days apart. So, like, something be so popular down here. And then I go home, and I be like, have you ever heard this? And he be like, no, what's that? And I was like, oh, but even cross just a little bit of lines, like, I remember when Juvenile Soldier Rag came out. We went to one of my good friends. Is from Jackson. We went to see Southern play Jackson State in Jackson. Southern's band played Soldier Rag. We all pulled it out. We was all, pull, you know, flinging a white tile. Jackson State side just looked like what? And I was like, how do they not know this? And she was like, they just don't know this here that to me was so weird that even that close they didn't know
0: right so was it surprising for you how No Limit and Cash Money just exploded nationally and just went from being regional to being a national force to be reckoned with
1: to me I don't think it was surprising because I watched it you know once he got a little money he moved to Baton Rouge and they always was on campus and then you know it's so funny that every time juvenile back that ass comes up you know folks would be like that's my song I'm like do y'all remember they put posters up and they were have we're gonna fill this in the park we want everybody to come down to the park and get in this music video and so to me when you are actually watching it that's a whole other ball game but then you know it was like they're on the ground marketing i feel like like you said they use the same format especially no limit that same mixtape format of you know p pressing out his own cds he push and they just start crashing, like you said, with from hand to hand to hand, and then ta da! Here we are. Mm-hmm.
0: And speaking of the indie labels like Cash Money and No Limit, a young man who was formerly the A of Uptown Records, R P the late great Andre Harrell, had a vision to take what he learned from Uptown and formed a little label you might have known and heard of called Bad Boy. How'd you end up getting for Mister Can't Stop Won't Stop? Let's get it? It's Sean P. Diddy Cones that I wanna work for Diddy. You
1: know what? It was stupid. I saw the advertisement for hey, we're doing casting. And they were actually doing casting in Dallas. And I was like, definitely, I'm going to go. But I, that year, I was actually working with Tom Joyner on his cruise, buying talent for the cruise. So folks that know about Tom Joyner and his fantastic voyage, all of the entertainers on the cruise are on the cruise for free. So they volunteer their time. So then there's all a bunch of other volunteers, I. such as me, that deal with talent that come on and help them with that. So I that that year actually since we're sitting in this pandemic that was the year that we were supposed to go to Mexico and they were going to do Mexico for the first time but that's the year when swine flew back so they had to reroute the cruise, and instead of going to Mexico it was actually I don't want to say horrible but it was horrible because they left from California and went up the coast and was like we went to Canada so like there wasn't any beach party there that year it wasn't any of that that year but he was doing a interview about 20 minutes from where we were set to actually dock on this cruise. So I got up, I rented a car. I went to this interview and I just knocked it out the park. I mean, when I say I was in there killing people during this interview, like it was a group interview and after, and you know, I know, I knew what they wanted for TV. I was like, I'm going to be this and I'm going to give them this. But at this time, you know, I had already worked and I was already doing, you know, I'd worked with celebrities. I was already doing, you know, I've done, I had a bunch of multi-million dollar deals up under my belt. You know, I was managing athletes. So for me, it was literally like, Let's go on this show to turn around and actually see if you can get on The Apprentice because at that time, you know, The Apprentice was just for ordinary people and I loved it and I was like, oh, I arrested it so bad. I got on here. I will show you how this is supposed to be done. So literally, I wanted to use the I Want to Work for Diddy as kind of like a junior college to then take that to go on to The Apprentice. So it literally, I was like, I'm going to get on this show and we're going to make it do everything that it's supposed to do. And it's one of those things that I wish. Social media and all of everything that we have now was out when the show was on and it was popular because it would be a whole different ballgame.
0: I definitely agree. And also for those of you that don't know, also on I Want to Work for Diddy was a pre-Orange is the New Black, Laverne Cox. And did you know while filming that she was going to be as huge as she is
1: now? Well, let's do this. Laverne wasn't even on my season, so there were two seasons of I Want to Work for Diddy, and that's it. It was season one and season two. Laverne was on season one, and I was on season two, so I didn't know
0: Laverne at all. So, with working for Diddy, did you see in the episodes of Making the Band Fire and about the infamous walk to Julius the Cheesecake, and what was it like being around Diddy? Because for me, his energy and his want to, his go-gettiness was almost as much as similar for me, looking at it as how Jordan and the late Kobe Bryant was, where they were just gonna do it and you are going to have to step to their level.
1: And with him, that is exactly what it is. You know, to that welcome to juniors, it is what it is. For him, he's like every day I took a train from Howard University up to New York to work a free internship because I wanted it that bad. If I wanted this bad, then I can go out and do that. If you want it, you can go out to do that. So that, all of that is actually stamped and ingrained into him and how he was. And then, you know, when the the Harrell came around, you could see where he got it from. So it was literally, you know, watching him and doing the show was something that was totally like, I see exactly where this drive is. I see exactly how this is going to work. And, you know, it's one of those things that, once, if you want it bad enough, you're going to make a way out of nowhere. And to me, that is something that, that can't be taught. Either you have it or you don't. And I am a Michael Jordan fan. He has always been my favorite. He has always been, to me, the best thing since sliced bread. And last dance, just made that even better. Kobe, you know, only a few a year younger than me. And Kobe's from, you know, 20 minutes where I grew up at, across the bridge over on Pennsylvania side. So for me, it was like, I remember the big deal when Kobe went to prom with Brandy. So it's one of those things that with him saying, it, it wouldn't be a me if it wasn't for Michael Jordan. I totally see. That phone we see that. And that's one of the things that you have to respect about their relationship and one of the things that you have to respect about the sport. You know, there are a lot of commercials of the NBA trying to ease back in now since they're debating if the season's going to start. And that commercial that's so good right now is where they're showing the old retired guy and showing the new guys trying to copy and mimicking, doing the same moves as them. And I'm like, that's exactly how it works. So for me, and I've worked with Kobe a bunch of times, you could very easily see how – his work ethic was
0: ingrained and taken from Michael. Right. And I'm a Michael Jordan fan from North Carolina. Jordan's from Wilmington, went to Carolina. And a lot of people, especially Jordan, he thought once the documentary came out that people were going to perceive him somewhere as mean or a butthole. But I'm looking at it like, no, he was cut from a different cloth. He was a dog and you had to step up or step off stay on the porch with the puppies. And not everybody is built to play with somebody like that. Not at all.
1: And what's so funny is I actually Going to go to UNC. Marion Jones would have been my roommate. And in my mind, I was going to marry Vince Carter. Because that all happened in ninety-five. At the last minute, I changed my mind and went to LSU. And for me, it was like because of Michael Jordan, that's why you wanted to go there. That's why you wanted to be there. And it was like, oh yes, this is this is fantastic. And I feel like everything that he's done in his career and all of the things that he has. Touch from branding to marketing to endorsement deals to how the simplest things are set up to what your life looks like after the court, after you get off of the court. All of that comes from him, and I'm like, if you don't see that and you don't respect that, then you don't know this business and you don't know how it works.
0: Right, because before the Air Doors came out, all the teams had to wear shoes that were contracted by the league, and a lot of the shoe companies weren't really centering their whole campaign around one athlete. Because I believe originally Nike wanted to spread the money around between different guys, but Sonny because convinced Nike, like, no, put all your money in this guy.
1: Yeah. So what's so funny is I had several arguments with folks on Instagram. I'm sorry, not Instagram on Facebook about this. And my statement was. Michael Jordan was the first athlete to wear colored shoes, and everyone swore me up and down. No, 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 he wasn't. I'm like, yeah. Other athletes had shoes, and all of their shoes had a white element to it, with Converse. And yes, folks, you say. Oh, but the Celtics and the Lakers, they all wore, they sometimes wore green shoes. or sometimes wore yellow shoe. I said, yes, but the Converse, the star, and their emblem, that always had white in it. When he debuted the airship because the Jordan 1 wasn't ready, that was a black and red shoe. When he wore that shoe, that gave big alarm to David Stern. Then when the Air 1 was ready and he wore that shoe at All-Star, when he won the dunk contest, that's when they said it was totally prohibited. And the reason why I led with that statement of it was the first colored shoe, because that was the first shoe that didn't have any white in the shoe at all. It was a red and black shoe, and David Stern said it reminds him of the duck. And so, technically, he was the first player to wear a shoe that didn't encompass any white in the design. Number one, no one else in the team had it. That also broke the rule that Nike laid. And two, 50% of the shoe wasn't white. So, for me, he changed the entire. Higher shoe game, hands down.
0: Yeah, he definitely did, and Nike was smart to pay those fines every time that he won because it became a hot commodity. That's still a hot commodity with That's resale. People were getting, ooh, come up off those.
1: Right here, but let's do it this way. Nike said they paid fines. Actually, in all actuality, they didn't because when he started to wear the airship, that happened. The only time he wore the airship was a preseason game against the Knicks, and that happened on October 18th. He was actually afraid that something bad was going to happen, so he decided to wear, he was wearing another shoe. Then he wore the Jordan 1. So in all reality, that's a little branding and endorsement thing, a superb marketing effort on Nike side. that actually didn't happen because he only wore those black and red shoes Right, So they actually didn't ever pay any time. Mm. Yeah,
0: know, so it was more like them kind of mythologizing the legend of the
1: shoe. Yeah, because of course they're saying that the shoe that he wore was the Air Jordan 1, and that wasn't the case, because the Air Jordan 1 wasn't ready yet. When David Stern, and it wasn't even David Stern, it was who wrote the letter, when he wrote the letter to Nike talking about Michael Jordan not wearing the red and black shoe, that letter was dated February 25th, and that letter was to him wearing it after the adult contest. That was the only time that he actually wore Air Jordan 1, that black and red one, at an actual NBA sanctioned event. So they just used it when they said it was banned. That's how they made their whole marketing campaign around that. And technically, the shoe that was banned from Jump was the Air shit. So it got some mythology around it, but, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. it has worked for them a million times over, we can both say, right?
0: Right. Definitely that. Like I said, people are willing to stand in line for hours for the resales, the releases of the classics. Now, maybe you can speak speaking on this or not. I read in articles that Jordan stated he originally wanted to sign with Adidas, because I believe Carolina at that time was an Adidas school, and Adidas was kind of fledgling, and they didn't want to pony the money up.
1: Exactly, and his mother, his father, was, he didn't even want to go to and he didn't even want to go see it. A documentary that is on Hulu that I feel like every person that is a sneakerhead of Jordan fan to see is called Unbanned. And that's actually the story of how he signed with them and Air Jordan 1 and the whole culture. And it's a fantastic story. But he didn't want to sign with Michael. He really wanted, like you said, a Demon's Or his second best was Converse. And so his parents were like, no, you're going to go out to Eugene. You're going to hear what these people have to say. And after the meeting was done, they were like, this is where you're going to sign with. And I had to tell folks all the time, you know, at this point, you know, Michael Jordan's really only 20, 21. You know, he wasn't even going to leave USC. But Dean Smith was like, you've done everything you could do here. You're leaving. And this was after his junior. Year. You know, like you saw from last dance, he still uses stamps to write home for his mom, talking to his mom, asking for $20. So his parents were so influential to him, and that decision, right then and there, on hey, you're going to sign with Nike, that was all his mom
0: Right, so we got to thank Miss Jordan for let, making him get on the plane out to Oregon to meet with Phil Knight, Tinker Hatfield, and everybody over there. So that they can make them a lot of money because prior to Jordan coming, Nike was just known as a company that made trash shoes.
1: Exactly. And trust me. But here's the part that, is, of course, is so funny. Nike made this shoe called the Waffle. And we had this in high school when they debuted it. It was a soft shoe that literally was made out of a Waffle press time that runners used. So for us, we and us, when I say us, runners, we always wore nicely, you know, and they always had the best, and like you said, out of Eugene, to now double back and look at it to say, hey, this is, you know, how his story started, and this is actually what made it, because you know, this happened in 88, 89, it, it, it was Truly, like, wow, this is, do you see this? And it was literally history
0: in the making. Yeah, definitely that. Now, one of the biggest basketball players to come out of LSU is the (laughs) big diesel, Shaq. Now, tell me about his ascension into being the superstar and crossover branding because he had his own shoes of Reeboks, commercials of Pepsi. Chad Fu. I mean, he was even rapping with Fu snickin and put out an album that went, I think, Double Platinum. But he had some bangers on it, though.
1: Let me tell you, he's one of the nicest, most genuine and easiest people, you know, to ever met. I've had the pleasure of working with him several, several times. I knew him at LSU. You know, I had the pleasure of actually, you know, working with him to help him get his degree from LSU. And so, for me, it's literally one of those things that, like you said, the nicest, gentlest giant and he's a great guy. His community work, speak for himself and that was another one that transcended work because like you just said, he dabbled and went into so many things. But again, none of that would have ha- would not have happened unless it was for Michael. All the way and I hate when folks try to downplay that, you know. Everybody's like, oh, you remember Space Jam? And I'm like, who doesn't remember Space Jam? You get what I'm saying? That was the two biggest entities ever right there and then to come back and see the last dance and to see how they're like, oh, He was trying to get back into the league, so he was working out during the day, and then he was coming at night. He was running pickup games, you know, to be a fly on the wall at those pickup games, huh? It was one of those things that all of that, everything that, you know, everybody after Jordan has, endorsements, marketing, branding, all of that comes from and starts with Michael, and Shaq has done wonderful with taking all those endorsements and taking all those brands and turning those opportunities into even bigger opportunities, you know?
0: Right, because everybody knows them um, for being in the commercials of Icy High, General, inside, no. the MB, inside the NBA, and Shaq's personality was just big, and he's peppered type of the life of the party you just want to hang out and just have fun with. Yes, and that is what
1: I try to get young athletes to see all the time. When you mm. take that from off the court your personality and who you are and what you are and what people have to say about you that is what actually is going to take you even further than how well you play on the court you know everybody or on the field everybody every team is comprised of guys that contribute one way or another and your another should very easily be hey this guy is always a stand-up guy this guy's personality is always fantastic this guy is always ready to lend a hand when he can You know, seeing all the guys right now pitching for COVID and do community service and help out, you know, those are the guys that we're talking about right now. You know, the guys who haven't done anything and who didn't do anything before this started, we're not talking about them. So your reputation has to precede yourself, but you can set yourself up for that and that starts from the minute that you go to college and you decide that this is what you actually going to do full-time
0: right and do you think a lot of athletes coming into the collegiate system now are more aware that hey this is a business first so when i go to professional rank i gotta conduct myself like i'm the ceo of my own brand
1: they do and they don't and they're getting better at that you know like a lot of things that um a lot of things that a lot of high schools are doing right now is you have to have community service in order to graduate. I think that's a fantastic idea,
3: you know, because that
1: proves that you just didn't get up, go play football, go, go. You know, you actually did something else. You were invested in something else, and that makes you a well-rounded person. And being a well-rounded person is normally what most CEOs are, and that's how they succeed and I really believe that that high schools and schools focusing on becoming well-rounded, that's just more beneficial for the athlete. And more beneficial for what he's going to do, like you said, when he's in his professional rank, and when that professional career is over.
0: Right, and I definitely feel that it's important to kind of have to have that education because what are you going to do once the ball stops bouncing, or once you stop catching touchdowns, your name is no longer being screened Because we've seen in some cases of athlete, you know, projected to be high picked but then you're just one injury away from having it be all off or not and you have a degree to fall back on. Thank you, because I look at the situation in Friday Night Lights the movie with Boobie Miles' character how he was getting recruited by all of the major big schools and then he suffered a major injury and then tried to come back and play on it and it was heartbreaking for me to watch that scene with uh, Derek Luke who portrayed Boobie crying with his uncle saying what am I going to do without football. And yeah,
1: and that is definitely one of those Things that you have to take into consideration because you know for even for a professional career, football player, four years, four years is really all you have to do to cap lot Of course, there are tons of people that make it past that, but there are tons of people that don't even make it to four. So, what are you going to do to capitalize and make it be more beneficial to you after this is over? Because guess what? You play for four years, literally, you're 26, 27. You're not even 30 yet. So, what are you going to do after 30? What are you going to do for the rest of your life? So, here we go. This is the perfect time to look at it and to prepare it and make it do what it's going to do for you.
0: Yeah, because I was looking at the 30 for 30 broke, and I was just surprised that, like, this whole... Horror stories for some of the athletes about how they just lend money out without saying, Oh, let me investigate more as to why you need this, or just willingly let your advisor just make financial decisions on your behalf. Take money and always somebody always has to have their hand out saying, Give me, give me, give me. Now they know that professional athletes had to pay taxes. In the states that they claim.
1: Yeah, and then, you know, it's important to, let's take, for example, you know, Memphis has a certain tax that you have to pay. Then when you go up to Toronto, you have to pay a different tax when you play them. So it's a whole different ball game. One piece of advice that I always give to all of my athletes is, Make sure you look at your paycheck. Your very first paycheck, after it's deposited, put it in your hand and look at it. Those tickets are free. That jersey that you threw into the crowd isn't free. You know, all the other extra stuff that you just had is not free. So you need to actually take that paper check, look at it, and see what's going on so you see what's going on. Because as much money as you think you're making is not really what you really making. And most guys have no idea about that. And they have the full survivor's remorse, which, by the way, was a great show. Anybody looking for something to watch during quarantine, that's a great one. Based on LeBron show. But it's about a guy who, you know, left his hometown to come play for the NBA. And how he's trying to bring who he can with him and still pay and give back. You know, you grow out of friends. You got to leave all your boys and everybody who ain't good for you, leave them where they're at. And guess what? No one should be managing you. No one should be managing your money. No one should be handling your business if they haven't ever done that before. Your homeboy ain't graduating from college. Your homeboy was never in class because he was chasing you. Why do you think he should be your financial advisor? Why do you think he should manage he ain't led a bingo game it's a down at church. Why you think you should let him lead your multi-million dollar business? You got to learn, and there should be no reason. They should not have to live and learn. You know what I'm mm-hmm.
0: saying? I agree, because uh, I was looking at Michael Vick, 30 for 30, and how one of his boys was talking about how when he was at Virginia Tech, he just rolled up in there and was just like man from the fifth floor. Yes,
1: yeah. and when I say I tell everybody, that is something that they damn sure every athlete I would sit down and watch that right there. That's that, that's another something that you need to watch to understand what's
0: really going on here. Yeah, you definitely don't want to be doing that, and then I was reading a story about when Draymond got drafted. He was saying how he had to take an advance out of what he was getting paid for so that he could just have enough expenses just to move out to the bay, and it's a hard situation when one minute eating hamburger helper, and then at the stroke of a handshake, you're now going to be eating filet mignon and dining at Roof Chris.
1: And that's what I tell them all the time. When you give a broke kid a million dollars, guess what? He's still a broke kid. He just now has a million dollars. And, you know, it's so funny because Draymond, you know, I had him when he was a rookie, so we would always talk to him. dream was dreamless. He's like, I can't wait to go play for Detroit. I was like, Draymond, let me tell you, that's not where you need to be right now. I told all the young guys, you going back to your hometown to play your first contract is not where you need to be because it is so many things that you're going to be trying to do instead of focus on what you're being paid to do that you don't even need the distraction. I'm glad to see that he took my advice and he stayed at Golden State and didn't try right. to run up back to Detroit.
0: Right, because Isaiah Thomas had told stories how he was trying to tank his draft position just for that reason, because he wanted to go play in Chicago. But Detroit ended up taking him. But one of the rare exceptions to that was Chicago drafted... D. Rose, and pre-injury Derek Rose, up there. I mean, youngest league MVP, but once he oh, got yeah, injured, oh, yeah. it was, I was just like, man, great, cause all I heard from people who played in the league is that said, great guy, humble, and you hate to see something like that with his injury happen where he was on such an ascent to being that big time star that we all know he could have been if that injury wouldn't have happened.
1: Yeah, so that's one of those things that it's literally like he was on his way. and he's a very nice guy. He was a nice guy, you know, he was on those things that at least he took his endorsements and he prepared himself to be able to be sufficient if he did have, you know, if he never played again. And that's what's interesting right now. That's a lot of guys who are not sufficient right now. And I'm like, you've been in the league for a certain amount of years. It is no way that this breaking season should have you or your family struggle. No way. No way. Right. But guess what? It's going to cause a lot of folks to readjust and readjust They're things and stop living beyond their means and all that good stuff. That's just what what going to do. The good, the bad, or the ugly, that is going to be an advantage that came from it.
0: Yeah, because you would think a lot of NBA players would be a little bit more financially set, than NFL guys, because NBA contracts are fully guaranteed. While I believe NFL contracts, correct me if I'm wrong on this, that the only thing guaranteeing guaranteed your contract is your signing bonus. That is
1: absolutely correct. That is absolutely correct. And so that's another thing right now, I, you know, folks are mad at debt. And I'm like, you can't be mad at debt. But right now, the market, he's only calling for what the market is going to pay him. And we cannot be, you may feel like that he shouldn't be the league's highest quarterback, but there are highest played players, highest quarterback, all that, but there are plenty of players before him who were the highest played player. For example, Kobe was never the highest played player. I tell everybody, look up, uh, Mr. Lewis's contract and see how much he was being paid. <laughs> at the time, and see who's actually making money, and that's one of those things that, you know, a lot of folks have to understand that you are going to get paid based off what the market value for, what you and your position, and where you're at right now, so, you know, him squad, folks saying, oh, $30 million is enough? No, it could, to him, it, it might not be enough, having a four-year contract over a five-year contract with that coming to you right now that's a whole different
0: ballgame right and if i was a player if god would have blessed me with the ability to have some sort of athletic gene or height and if i had signed that big deal it almost make it seem like you wouldn't want to buy a house by the way because i feel with being in professional sports at the jump of a dime you get traded so there's really no sense in me buying a house when i may not know for sure maybe after the first contract is done that I'm going to be here for a good bit because look at what happened with DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, I think he probably thought he was going to be in Houston for a good minute, but he just ended up getting shipped out to Arizona.
1: Yeah, and it happens. And I say that all the time the folks. Guess what? You got to bank on you. And as you see, these teams are not going to be loyal to you. You think they are, but they're not. They're going to find a way to do what's best for them with or without you. So you need to protect yourself and find a way to do what's best for you as well.
0: hmm I definitely agree with that. And do you think with, we were talking earlier about with everything that's going on in our country, that athletes will be a lot more vocal and stand and use their voice like LeBron has been doing and just say, hey, I'm going to speak out. It is not enough for me to just stay silent, collect these checks, all these injustices that's going on, and let's look back at what happened with
1: come Exactly. And it's like, whether we like it or not, He got black balls and someone should have picked him up. There are plenty of quarterbacks that he was better than. There are plenty of quarterbacks who he could still actually play for. There are plenty of quarterbacks who he could have started above these last three years and he hasn't been in the league. But, he took the side that he's going to stand on, and one thing you can say about him, whether you like him, you don't like him, he stood firm in it, and he's still standing firm in it.
0: So were you surprised by Jordan's response as to why he didn't speak out more on issues in the last day no,
1: no, not at all, and I say that because he's always put his money where his mouth is. You know, if folks don't know him and know how many kids he has put through school, how much community work that he does, how much of his money is based in charity, because you don't like that he's not vocal, you can't say that you don't like him. Because if you don't know actually what he's doing, you may not like his approach, but that doesn't mean that he's not doing something.
0: Right, I agree with that as well, but not everybody can be on the front lines with your signs and the bullhorn. You got to have some that's working behind the scenes and willing to do it covertly, discreetly, because I believe I was looking at, I think it was Trigger Warner, it was something pertaining to Mike. It was saying how this black barber down in Atlanta, this was back in the days of uh, segregation, how he would only cater to white clientele, but what he was doing, He was getting knowledge on how the insurance game worked and everything in their sector. And he was passing on what he was hearing in the barbershop to those in his neighborhood how to invest and how to And I think that there's many ways to skin a cat and there's not one way just to do something. And I think we're always going to have that battle clashing of philosophy, people thinking that you only can be on the front line or you're not really doing nothing if you're not vocal and you're doing it behind the scenes. I think there's many ways to get it done.
1: Oh, yes. And everything is not for everybody. And you have to understand what is for you. And you have to understand that everybody's not going to like you. Everybody's not going to like your choices. Everyone is not going to like how you do everything all the time. So like what you just said, that people got to be on the front lines, people got to be on the back lines, people take actions in a lot of different ways, and you just have to respect that. And what was interesting is how the politician, I can't remember his name, who he didn't help, came out and was like, no matter what he said, I wasn't winning that election. And I feel like that's one of those things that you just got to understand that everybody's not going to like your decisions and keep on moving.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, where did your journey to fitness and wellness come in? Now we're going to do a pivot about your journey to fitness. <laughs>
1: Once you run track and you have some athletic background, it kind of always sticks with you. So literally, I just happened to be in the gym. I saw some ladies who looked great, and I was like, I want to do this. And that's how I ventured into the world of a competitive bodybuilding. And that's what my advice is right now.
0: So was it a different type of preparation, preparing your body for track as opposed to competitive bodybuilding? Is there are different.
1: Oh, yeah, it's a huge difference. It is total diet, total focus, total determination, you know, it's a whole different game plan. You're putting yourself through the triggers, but the mentality of doing what you have to do and that mamba mentality and, oh, you know, the type of attitude that Jordan has when it all costs, you know, if it's for you, you're going to find a way to make it for you. And one of the things that's very difficult is, you know, you have to stay on that diet, you have to stay on that schedule. If it was easy, everybody would do it. That's why, only select few do right
0: now was there one food that was kind of hard for you to cut out when you first started when
1: i'm training i cut out everything so literally how it went was i started training in in may and i was working out i was doing fine i was going to the gym that wasn't a problem i tell folks all the time you can go to the gym every day and if you're not eating right it's not gonna work so literally i went home for christmas and i got sick with the flu and when i got sick I just kind of like lost some weight because I wasn't eating and I just was sick. Then after I-, I came back, you know, I was like, oh, it's January, you might as well just start prepping because there's going to be a show coming. So mind you, at this month, at this point, as you see, I've been prepping, you know, from May all the way to, at this point, December, just to get on stage to do my first So I was like, you might as well just get on your diet hard and start doing it. So literally, January, I got on my diet hard, and I started doing it, and I did my first show that next year in May, and that's how it was. But what was interesting, my very first show, a week, two weeks. My first show, my coach was like, "You're not ready." He was like, "You're not going to embarrass me. You're not going to go out there and just do it, just to do it." You know, in certain shows, there's a novice category for people at their first time. For me, it wasn't a novice category in the show, so literally, I was just going up against everybody who had ever done a show. And I went there, and I looked at him, and I was like. Wait, I've already got my food. I've been dieting for months. I've been in here training. I've had no days off. I'm doing this show come hell for high work. Long story short, I went out there and I got served. My first show after, the and then, you know, it just stayed with me. And so it was one of those things that I have just taken that and the things that I have learned of the diet and all of that, I just now use that expertise to help other folks get in shape and lose. Right.
0: And are you familiar with Byron Hurt and his documentary Soul Food Junkies?
2: No, I don't
0: know what that is. Um, the documentary talking about correlating the history of soul food and into his family. He was a former college athlete himself, a quarterback at Northeastern University up in Boston, and how soul food is such a communal experience in the African-American culture and how if we look at an urban rural neighborhoods, you have food deserts where you're not gonna find a Whole Foods in Camden or T-Neck or Newark, you're not going to find a co-op in rural Northeastern North Carolina where I'm from, or out here in Farmington, New Mexico, where I am, where the region that I'm in is predominantly Native American, and you have the reservations. That's a whole nother story, but it's just the fact that you have to go literally to a major metropolitan area just so that you can eat well, and the only thing you're left with in most of these concentrated areas that's not metro or fast food convenience store, something quick, easy, and process. And
1: you are extremely right. And I tell people all the time, folks always say, well, I have to spend a lot of money to eat right. And I'm like, no, you don't have to spend a lot of money to eat right. What you do have to do, though, is you have to have access to it. And you have to want it. And the biggest problem with eating right, like you said, is you have to plan for it. That's one of those reasons that a lot of folks do run for fast food is because, hey, I don't know what I'm going to eat tonight, so let me just drive by this McDonald's and pick some up on the way home. If you already had your food in the house, you already had it prepped, you already had it ready, then you wouldn't have to stop at McDonald's because you've already prepared what you're going to have for the week. A lot of folks, you know, that's a hard pill to swallow of me having the same stuff all week long all the time and ta-da, you know, here we go. And so at this point in the game, you know, it's not easy to say to someone who's in a food desert, oh, you have to do right because, like you said, there's nowhere for them to even do right at. So all of the co-ops and all of the farming that's happening around, all the people planting their own gardens, and all of the people who are doing right, that is a major, major kudos to them, because like you said, in some places it's just so hard to do right. Right,
0: because out here in the northwest region of Mexico, it's predominantly Native American. You have the reservations which are about 30 miles out from the nearest town, super isolated. The projects were make the reservations look like a Beverly Hilton I mean no running water you got multi-generational families living in homes you have to drive x amount of miles out just to go to a well to pump your tank just to get water and you have to ration your water based on how many family members are in your home because y'all know how long that water was stretched and then there's only maybe one or two Indian Health Services hospitals in the town and you have to get airlifted to a bigger hospital if they can't provide service for you. So it's been a real eye-opener for me living in this part of the country and me being from North Carolina and seeing it from two different perspectives. You know, the black experience going up in the South and then the plight of my fellow Native American brothers and sisters out here in the Southwest.
1: And then though, though, for you, you're seeing it from two different sectors of North Carolina of farming and farmlands and having access to it. And if you don't have it, your neighbor has it, somebody, you can get it compared to, like you said, out there where there is no you can get it.
0: Right. 'Cause when my wife first came out to North Carolina to visit me, um, she was super excited to see cotton for the first time. She was like, Ooh, cotton You like I've been seeing
2: this damn cotton
0: my whole wife. I've been trying to see this cotton. <laughs> yeah, we we got cotton, we got peanuts, we got tobacco, and then uh, my friend, uh, Mr Black Cotton, uh he has this podcast called Land Ethics talking about the history of farming in rural northeastern North Carolina and how farming been essential into our region of the state for centuries with passing it down from family to family to family. And just growing up there, I saw it every day by my house, cotton fields, peanut fields, tobacco fields. I mean, the town I grew up in was under a thousand people, and you had to literally go 25 minutes out to go to Walmart. And it's just sad to think how when you grow up in these rural communities, You're almost pretty much like forgotten about and you literally have to bang and scream and say, we're here. We need these necessities. We're not in a major metro area, but we need these necessities in order to be better, in order to live, in order to maintain, and that also brings to mind the issue of gentrification, With a lot of these urban areas are getting knocked down, renovated, and people are getting priced out to live. Because we rode to D.C. about two years ago when I went for Christmas, and how a lot of areas that were once considered predominantly black areas in D.C. getting redone up, resold at a higher price, and folks are getting priced out, and it's just a shame. Yeah,
1: and so for us, it's one of those things that you, like you said, because you've seen a whole different style, a whole different atmosphere, a whole different effect on how this works, you know, for like you said, for her to say, oh, I see cotton, you like, man, I've been seeing cotton my whole life. <laughs>
0: it ain't nothing special.
1: ain't nothing special. But I tell you, I share this with her. The first time I saw it, I was like, let me stop on the road and feel it. They was like, what do you think it's going to feel like? I was like, they was like, it's not soft and fluffy like you think
3: it's soft and fluffy. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because when I first moved out here, it was complete culture shock because coming from where it's predominantly African-Americans to where it's a small community of you. I had never been in that experience before while my wife was. On the other hand, that was her whole life, you know, being the only one in the room so it's quite interesting for me learning how to be the only one in the room because at times you kind of feel like you're in a way not blatantly but you're like oh you're the spokesperson on all things african-american issues when you're the only one in the workplace that's like you and when you spot somebody that's like you you feel like you have to co-switch
1: yeah, till you know what's going on and who's doing, who's doing what, and whose side who's on.
0: Right, and for a lot of athletes coming from you know urban backgrounds, maybe not being around a lot of diversity, do you think that it is a deep learning curve to go from being from let's say inner city anywhere USA, all of a sudden going to posh. Anywhere you would say, interact with people that maybe have a higher social capital or income bracket than you, and you're having trouble of how to, how can I still keep my authentic self, but also be able to integrate this new life that I made for myself by being a multi athlete and rubbing elbows with those that are full of excess and wealth. Yes,
1: and I say to them all the time, that's a huge thing that you have to contend with, and something else that you always have to contend with is, let's say you're from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and you've never seen snow before, and you get drafted by the Buffalo Bills. You get drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. You say, yeah, I want to go anywhere. No, you really don't want to go anywhere because there's some stuff that you just are not ready for, and that's that whole adaptability. And even though, you know, both sides, you coming from inner city dealing with pot, or you're coming from country dealing with Hot. That's a whole different ball game, so my biggest piece of advice is you gotta surround yourself around with people who really want the best for you and have already did the ups and downs and know how to lead you the right direction and lead by example and right. don't and put you in the position that they know isn't going to be beneficial for anybody.
0: Right. And on the high school level, it's definitely kind of hard to know who to trust, who you can't trust because as we saw in uh, hoop Dreams, that Arthur A.G., he was recruited to go play ball at St with Coach Tingator, and for those who don't know, St. Joe's was the school that Isaiah Thomas played at, along with his buddy, William Gate. but there was a situation in the documentary at how Arthur was behind on tuition, and his family couldn't afford him to continue to go to St. Joe's, so he had to end up leaving St. Joe's and go play at Marshall, which is a public high school out of Chicago. I think Patrick Beverly also played at a high school, but Wim ended up still being able to play at St. Joe's because he ended up taking this summer job at studio Botanica. And I believe the owner or somebody higher up ended up um, paying his tuition at St. Joe's for him.
1: Exactly.
0: Yes, very much so. Yes, I just kind of look at that discrepancy where if you're going to go play at these private schools, if you're the runner for these kids trying to recruit them to these schools, I'm like, hey, this is what it is up front. We'll only be able to give you partial, but you still have to come up out of pocket for this apply the for a for this, and I'm sure you know coming from those backgrounds, going to a prep school, you just feel isolated. Where I'm like, I'm here to ball, but I see nobody that looks like me, sounds like me, talk like me, and I have to battle within myself, when I go back to the hood, like, I'm still down because, as we saw in the Fab Five, 30 to 30, Jalen Rose said he felt at the time that the black players on Duke's team, he felt that they were more of the Theo Huxtable types, where they came from very well-to-do means, ingratiated amongst different people. And he said at the time he felt envious because that was something he didn't get, you know, because his dad was the number one NBA draft pick, Jimmy Walker. And how they had what he wanted. And that
1: like you said, they had what they wanted. So as I mentioned earlier with them navigating these rules of being able to market and get money off their name, that's the same way as having somebody on staff that's like you said, that can help them appropriately even to the right environment and saying you made the right choice to come. Won't Nick Saban sit on your couch? There are questions that need to be be asked that you and your family need answers for. And, like you said, I hope that with the way that this is going, that there are plans to put in place the correct people with the personnel to how those can be answered because, like you said, For three years, they're going to make money off you. And this is something that's so interesting. When I was at LSU, Kevin Falk was at LSU. Kevin Falk, actually, you know, went to the Patriots play. But Kevin graduated in three and a half years. And I asked him, I was like, how did you do it? And he was like, I was going to be here running that football. I knew I was going to get something back from them. So if all you get, if you go in there and you get your degree, that's something that you got that they cannot take away from you. And I wish every football player went in there and did that.
0: Right. And I think what should happen, too, like, let's say I like the situation at Baylor when Matt Rule left to come coach for the Carolina Panthers, that a lot of the guys that got recruited there were going to play just specifically for him. But because they're locked into that contract, they can't transfer if the coaches leave. But what I do like now with the transfer portal is that if you see that hmm, I'm not going to get playing time elsewhere, I want to better my draft stock. I can transfer and play I'll probably the sit-out a year, but to me, that also kind of screams, I can't deal with competition if I get beat out for a job, and I just want to go transfer where I can get more playing time.
1: Yes, yes, so you are, I mean, and like I said, it's now an opportunity. And you may need to know that, hey, the college that's recruiting you sitting on your couch right now, I had a very interesting conversation with someone about how Tennessee actually got the number one recruiting class for next year. And I'm like, Tennessee? And then I had to sit back and talk about it as we were talking about it. It was like, yeah, no need to go to Bama or LSU or Georgia. Because you're not going to play, but guess what? If you go to Tennessee, you will play, and they're playing. They have just as great as facilities. They have just as great as fan base. They in the SEC, so guess what? Going there might be more beneficial than you than for you and your career than going to an Alabama or an LSU. Yeah, you might not win no championship, but you're gonna get all the exposure and you're gonna get seen. Just and you're gonna to get to play. Like if you would have went to Alabama or LSU.
0: So, what do you feel about the awakening? of NFL athletes retiring with all of the concerns we've had with CT over the years. We saw Chris Borland, Patrick Willis, and just recently Luke Keekly step away because of concerns with CT. And do you think that we'll see the 10-plus-year NFL player still exist, or do you think he'll be five years And, Laura, because there's more information out there now with the effects of CTE.
1: Like I said, when we started, you know, the average career, they tell you, is easily from three to five. Of course, there are plenty of guys that make it past that. But if you go in there, you do what you need to do, you save, you invest, you do things the right way, I think a lot of guys, older guys, play for longevity because of money and because they need that stability. But with this new type of information coming out and these contracts getting bigger and more money on the table, I strongly believe that guys won't stay that long. And if they have the chance to play some great years, get some name recognition, like I said, settle down, build up their wealth, then them leaving before the 10 years very easily, I think, will happen.
0: Because you hear stories about some athletes, they don't even touch their game money. They just live off an endorsement.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I had, you know, a couple of players back, you know, I used to work for a trading card company. And when you go into the NFL and NBA, especially the NBA, the only two things that are guaranteed off top is trading card money and shoe money. Now, I had a bunch of athletes who literally their parents, because remember, we're talking about 19-year-old kids here, were like, you are not allowed to touch any of your NBA money you will live off of this endorsement money. So you can very easily do it. When you're 19 years old, most of the time when you're not playing with your team, you're back at home at your parents' house. So, it's one of those things that that's where you need to be and that's what you need to be doing. And I feel like if all, if everyone, you know, when this doc, when the Save the Last Dance came out and folks were looking at it like, oh, we can't believe Scotty Pippen took that deal. It was very interesting because we know he took the deal because he wanted to support his family. But unfortunately, Scotty didn't bet on his stuff. And I don't even think no matter what anyone said to him, he was not going to find that long-term crappy deal because that long-term crappy deal afforded that he could take care of his family for a long period of time unfortunately, during that how Scotty died, how like got messed over is unfortunately when he was in that long-term crappy deal, the CBA changed, the marketing right changed, the money changed, and so he was stuck in that crappy deal and everybody else was still getting more money because the rights to everything else around him changed during that time. But at, at one point, you guys say, hey, I'm going to bet on myself and know that this is the right way and the right thing to get.
0: Right, and in terms of smart contract business, this kind of relates to this. Jason, we- Weaver admitted in an interview with DJ Glass about how when he was signing his contract to do the Lion King for Disney, originally he wanted to get the money up front. But the mama was like, nope, we're taking off the back end so we could get the residuals. And he's eating good off the residuals.
2: Yeah,
1: got him, got him. And it's one of those things like, I'm trying to think, which was the player that said, that they wish they would have took Nike stock? Was that Magic Johnson? Who that was the worst deal that he wished. He I think was it was Magic. Made? Yep. And I believe it. I
0: believe it. Yeah, cause think about it. If you would have took Nike stock when Jordan came out, you'd be sitting pretty rich, probably on your own island right now. And it's amazing to see Jordan's impact culturally on the league, cause while Magic and Larry saved the NBA from the dark period before they got drafted, Jordan exploded and took it to another level, and it was apparent with the dream team that NBA was gonna be international because Once that happened, you had the likes of the birth of the international superstars like your Dirk Nowitzki, Tony Parkers, Christopher Gingis, Luka Doncic, and your list goes on and on of all the great international players that came over to the league once the Dream Team exploded because prior to that, international players were looked at as soft and felt that the game wouldn't translate to what the NBA was like at the time, where if you see now, pretty much the NBA is played like how it is internationally, face to face.
1: Exactly. And that's why what's going to happen right now is this, this is interesting with this new G League program that's coming where they're trying to say, hey, all of these kids, you don't have to go to college. You can come here for us. We're going to give you up to $500,000. We're going to put you on a special team. We're going to afford you the liberties to do what you would do overseas, but instead be right here. This is going to be very interesting.
0: Yeah, because everybody's thinking that LaMelo Ball, he's a top five prospect, and this upcoming year's NBA Drive, he had to go to Australia to play, and how he was doing a cover for Slam Magazine, and Nate Robinson was at the big ball house, And Papa Ball was showing the picture, and it was of a T-shirt with his cover on the T-shirt, and he was saying how LaMelo gets to make money off of the shirt. And it's just like you're thinking. You could be 14, 15 years old overseas, playing pro, getting money, but I'm playing for XYZ University. Everybody else making a dime except for me. I get an infraction if I just so simply ask for a hot dog. Or accept some free groceries from somebody. And you mean to tell me that this person over here in this country can make X amount of money while I'm over here struggling? It's just contradictory. I think that's all because NCAA just wants to keep the pie to themselves and don't want to share with nobody because it's so much money for everybody involved, not the players.
1: Well, yes. And let me tell you. It's one of those things that it is, I know one of the young guys that did that, and I watched him grow up the whole thing, R.J. Hampton, and hopefully he gets drafted high, but he had to go to New Zealand and come back, and it's going to be one of those things that I hope this program takes off. I hope It does exactly what it's supposed to do and it gives these guys an opportunity to make it right here. But I hope the program actually does what it's supposed to do and help them, teach them, guide them, and get them ready to go to the league. Because there just are not a lot of guys athletically. Yes, they're ready. But in other, in all the other spaces, they don't have me, as I like to call it, to be sure that they are Ready and available to make it happen, and I hope it
0: exactly that. Real quick points, and I'm gonna get y'all out of here. I was just recently looking at the video podcast for All the Smoke with uh, Matt Barnes, Stephen Jackson did just had Richard Helmson. that was talking about how he played against Kobe in high school because he's from Coatesville, Pennsylvania, and he was saying how when him and the rest of the guys when they were at an AAU game, they were all going to go out ask Kobe if he wanted to come out. And Kobe was like, nah, I'm going to ice my knees and watch film. And they were all looking at him like, what? This guy is our age, and he's talking about icing his knees and watching film. But so you can see right there that Kobe was different. He already had the mentality of a vet. And you knew he was going to be one of the rare ones that was going to, once he got going, he was going to be a problem. Yeah,
1: like I said, you can easily see that. You can easily see that, easily. And, but you can see that in the live eyes. guys you know who's going to put in time, who's going to do, who is going to put in the work. And like I said, I can meet a lot of guys. and I meet a lot of guys. And from, as soon as I meet them, I'm like, you're going to make it, you're not going to make it. I can tell that very easily. There's a lot of work ethic that has to do with your upbringing that has to do with, at the end of the day, as I've been saying throughout this whole entire conversation, how are you going to make a way out of nowhere?
0: Right, because that's why everybody commends LeBron, because LeBron did it right with putting his guys in position to be successful. They studied and showed themselves approved, you know, matter Eric went and turned and then proved to LeBron, hey, I can do this. And LeBron said, hey, run this. Randy, run this. Run this. So, you know, LeBron definitely did it the right way. And what are your thoughts on – Zion Williamson playing for the New Orleans Pelicans and how he's able to transform the New Orleans community I feel that he has the chance to kind of take the mail from Drew Brees once he retires from the paint and be that face uh, for the sports figures community in New Orleans yep
1: I feel like like I said everything comes back around so like I said I hope that we have a football season this year and I hope it turns out you know I hope we get past all of the struggles and everything that we're in right now you know Went from pandemic to something even worse that's going on right now, and you know, everything's going to come full circle. And they always say that sports is something that connects us and ties us and focuses, gets us focused off, you know, some of the horrible things and unites us. And I surely hope that that is what can possibly happen during this, you know, this upcoming football season, you know, to at least take off some of the, the pressures and the wounds and the problems that a lot of folks are dealing with right now.
3: Right,
0: because when Zion got drafted, I know they were saying they wanted to share a couple of pounds. I was <laughs> like, New Orleans is the wrong city to do that with all that good eating going on down there.
1: When I say the wrong place to do it at, it's one of those things that you go down there and you gain so much weight that it's not even funny. It's so interesting. I can so you. see. I'm like, them knees ain't going to take it, all that good eating, all that good food out there. You mm. it's, it's, you don't know what's going on out there, you
0: know? Yep, just having your contract. You cannot go to Cafe Dumont. You cannot go to no crawfish boils. You cannot get no beignets. You cannot eat no etouffee. You definitely can't go to Mardi Gras. And whatever you do, you cannot go to a Bayou Classic sale.
1: But you got. Look, you got that right, because all of that stuff is easily going to be like, oh, Lord, what is going on here?
0: <laughs> right, and we didn't even talk about how down south, halftime is game time, and what's the difference between the marching bands and southern and grambling?
1: Oh, you know, I'm always going around right for southern, and it's one of those things that, you know, I feel like that's the best HBCU in the country, and it's, <laughs> It's a difference, and it's not a huge difference, but it's really who you're rooting for. So my loyalty goes to my loyalty goes to Southern University.
0: <laughs> All right, good answer, good answer, good answer. And uh, give me your top five MCs. Oh,
1: my top five MCs, um, in no particular order: um, MC Light for sure, um, Biggie for sure, JD. For sure, um, cannot forget the go because if we're going to go greatest of all time, that we definitely is um, Eric B. and um, And <sighs> five, I will give a good old throwback, another throwback. You know who I used to love to death? Special Ed. <laughs> oh,
0: mm. Sneaky, oh, yeah. sneaky! I got it made the mission. Think about it. One of my favorite MCs. My top five. I have Jay Z. No order. Jay Z, Biggie, Big Daddy Kane, Redman, and LL Cool J. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can, I can, I can see it go that But I see how
1: you don't have any women on that list.
0: I love the ladies. I love the ladies. <laughs> for, for my ladies, I got Light, Queen Latifah, Roxanne Shante. I put Rhapsody. Rhapsody, and then for my five spot, I would put, mmm, well,
2: I'm Wanna tell, mm, mm, mm.
1: well, tell you who I'm gonna put in your five spot? And you know, this is an ode to home. You gotta put, um Eve in there. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Look, that's Philly and me. I got the ride for Eve.
0: Yeah, and for me to see Eve on the talk and to see how she was saying, how she's the illest pit bull in the skirt, I was just waiting for Swift Beats just to show up on the talk and start doing his ad lib and everything like that. So it's just good, good to see. The transition of a lot of the acts from that era go to different platforms like Will, LL, Queen Latifah, Eve,
2: you know, MC Light.
1: It's the same thing with athletes to go from this to that you can easily see that this is how your career can transition and you can even be bigger afterwards you know you can be bigger after your career if you turn it into something that's profitable. we never had an issue with her we never saw anything pop up with her that's bad or negative and that's an easy thing to say hey what was this transition
0: mm-hmm. yes yeah, because there's a generation of kids that only know LL from NCIS LA and hosting the Grammys have no idea about his rap career. This man and then
1: the term, the GOAT. Exactly. And that's the part that even more funny when you say that. You know, I was looking at an interview with Will Smith. You know, I silly, born and raised, that whole good thing. And he was saying how when he first started on The Fresh Prince, he was like, I'm going to be called The Fresh Prince. And Alfonso Ribeiro told him, do not call yourself that. Because after you get off this show, that's what everybody's going to call you from here for the rest of your career. So you need to go with Will Smith. And
0: look how that, how that happened. Right. And he just recently hopped on the track with some rapper. I can't recall the name. He just had to do that just to make sure that, you know, I could still do it. And Queen Latifah just did, too, um, not too long ago. Saying, hey, don't let this Hollywood money fool you. I can still get busy on the mic. Yes, exactly. And I feel like
1: that's for everybody everybody guess what, I still got it. It's just like when basketball players be like, oh, let's play a pickup game. I'm like, listen, Papa, I don't need you out here with these kids and jumping up the icy
0: hot. And, uh, right, because <laughs> right, I was joking with my wife about how I think Jordan has, in his office in Charlotte, an emergency break-just-in-case glass with a uniform, shoes, which one of y'all want to get 50 in front? Yes, exactly. Who
1: wants to see if I still got it in me?
0: I still got the smoke. And that's the one thing about Jordan had that assassin mentality. And as we saw, any slight, any little slight, he'll remember it
2: to trigger him and now it's
0: like, let's do it. I mean, if I beat him in Monopoly, he would want to play Monopoly till he wins. If I beat him in trouble, he would want to play in that. If I beat him in Scrabble, he wanna play him in till he wins. I mean if I even beat him in Rock, Paper, Fizzle, he wanna play until he got best out of Fever. I mean that's just the competitor he was. I mean, he would not let up. He would Have your heart out, rip it, and eat it, and dare you to do something. And like I said earlier, not everybody's built for that. And that goes to show you how willing his desire to win, how big it was, and the mentality was you had to either get on or get off. And I kind of hated how a lot of the old school guys would bash the new school, say, man, y'all Sounding like man yelling at clouds saying, man, back in my day, we were all physical. We didn't like them. I look at it, it's a different style, a different day, because a lot of the new guys grew up playing together via AU and cool on social media, work out together. So it's a different time. Yeah,
1: all day long, and it's one of those things that I am with you and I anything that I need just to make me do this, this is how I'm going to do it. This is how we're going to make it, and this is how I'm going to win. Like I said, that's another way of, like I said, making a way out of nowhere.
0: Right, making a dollar out of 15 cents. Now, any shout-outs you want to give before we conclude?
1: Oh, you know, I just would, you know, love, if anyone is looking for a meal plan, if anyone needs some help losing weight, if anyone... Need to do any of that. Find me on Instagram. It's under ivory tab. On Facebook, of course, it's under ivory tab. We're working on the website right now that we're going to dive in and do some good stuff like that. And the website is, uh, www.tipbytab.com. So, you know, I'm easy to find. And, you know, my second shout out is, uh, I do for my, as I told you earlier, for my great job every day, I do a lot of nonprofit work. And I feel like this is the best time for folks to donate. This is the best time for folks to volunteer. This is the best time for folks to actually take on something that's meaningful to them and help out and help someone and help others where they can. And I feel like now is the time to do it, especially if you have the time to do
0: it. Right. Hit up Ivy if you want to get that hot boy, hot girl somebody body. Also, donate, but make sure what you're donating to is legit because you know right now you got a lot of scams. That's being ran, so definitely make sure the site is legit before you give your hard-earned coins. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Ivory Tab, a jack-of-all-trades, thank you so very much for doing this interview. I appreciate you.
1: Thank you, dear, and you let me know if you need anything else from me.